Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of My Views on Politics. Um, this is a, uh, a, an opportunity for me to talk with you, uh, to wrap up the week, wrap up some big news of the week, and uh, really just dive into a passion of mine, which is politics. I started this, uh, this podcast during uh, the COVID lockdowns. Uh, TikTok had really generated a lot of awareness to things that were happening in politics, and this opportunity presented itself to put my thoughts and my opinions out there in the media world. And so this is, this is my opinions. It's like a journal. It's completely amateur. There's no ads on this thing. You're going to hear my air conditioning go off. You're going to hear potentially fire trucks from my dog or my cat. And this just is what it is. We're going to get through it. It's like a $50 mic that I picked up uh, because of coronavirus so that I could do things that I needed to for work. So that's where, where we're at with it. Uh, I like to talk about local news in Oregon. I like to talk about uh, nationwide news, potentially world news. We'll just kind of see what, what comes our way. The first thing I want to talk about this week happens in Salem, happens in Oregon, uh, and it is a, a father of a teenager who was killed uh, in an automobile accident is suing the city for $2.8 million. So um, the, the daughter who was killed in the car accident, she was driving with her at the time boyfriend on a road. The boyfriend was speeding. He sped through a stop sign and he ended up hitting another car that was oncoming at them. And the father is arguing that there have been a number of accidents at that specific location that because the city has not enforced property owners to trim back their hedges and their bushes, the visibility is bad. And that because of all that, his daughter is dead. And I feel for the man. I, I absolutely do. I have no idea what it would be like to lose your flesh and blood. I have no idea what it would be like to have to bury your child. We are not supposed to outlive our kids, right? I, I firmly believe that, that as parents, we are supposed to die before our children do. Unfortunately, this man is not facing that scenario. He is facing the scenario where he had to bury his daughter. And he is looking for people to be angry with. Now, I'm sure that he was upset with, with the driver, the daughter's boyfriend. I'm sure that there may have been thoughts about suing them. That may have happened. They may have gone through his auto insurance. There may have been a payout. And he's now looking at not the financial aspect of things, but how can he punish everybody? I mean, when you're talking $2.8 million dollars, you're not looking to make yourself whole. You're looking to punish. And I don't disagree if the city knew that there were areas that were more prone to accidents and they hadn't have taken hadn't taken the steps necessary to prevent those accidents, that there could be some liability. Now, I don't think it's that that's really going to happen. Because the city's only responsible for what the city controls, right? So part of his argument is that the city needed to enforce 
owners of property trimming back their bushes and their and their hedges. That is private property. Now, the citizens can choose to vote and pass legislation at the city level to put regulations on foliage. Or an HOA could choose to do the same thing, right? A group of homeowners could get together and want to do that. But that's not the situation here, right? Like the city can't go to a private property owner and say, you need to do this because of this. If what they're asking them to do is fully on their property. Like the city can ask you to um, take out a shrub if it's affecting a sidewalk. But if it's a visibility issue and the city has done what they can to negate or minimize that visibility issue, at that point, it's it's on knowing the road that you're driving on. This was not a road that was unfamiliar to the boyfriend. He drove this road regularly. He admitted he was spitting, speeding. Sorry, He admitted that he drove through a stop sign that he knew was there. For whatever reason, he was distracted. It's the driver's fault that this man's daughter is dead. It is not the city's fault. The city did not kill his daughter. And while I feel for the man, this shouldn't be on the city. Now, you may be asking, why is this on a political podcast? Because... In the event that the city loses this lawsuit or settles on this lawsuit, then that now has to be accounted for in the budget. And a discretionary fund is going to have to be cut. There are mandatory programs and discretionary programs. And that money comes out of city-wide budgets for programs. That's how this is a political issue. Again, I feel for the man, but I don't think that going after the city, in essence, penalizing all of the residents of a city, is the right way to get this accomplished. Now, $2.8 million, there's 280,000 people, you're talking, you know, $10 per resident of the city of Salem, in the big picture of things, big, big grand scheme of things, that's not that big deal, right? That's not... The big picture says that's not all that big of a deal. But that money has to come from somewhere. And it has to be voted on by residents of the city. Or, again, it has to be taken out of funding programs that have already been determined as necessary by the city to have. So I feel for the man. I really hope that this lawsuit doesn't go anywhere. I hope that there's not even an out-of-court settlement. Maybe just a couple of fix-it items that need to take place you know, a public apology, whatever the case may be, but this is not the right way to do things. Going after a city for something that they don't really have control over, or even a state government or a federal government, for something that they don't have control over is not okay. Okay, so the next thing that I want to talk about is regarding the federal hate crime trial and sentences that were handed down to Gregory and Travis McMichael Uh, as well as William Bryan um, this week. So you may remember in 2020, there were a series of killings of black persons that brought a lot of attention to um, some societal issues that we had and really gave new life 
to the Black Lives Matter movement. One of those was the murder of Ahmad Arbery. And he was the individual who was running down a street. He was chased by three individuals in a pickup truck who were armed. They attempted to um, secure him, I guess. And they said that they were trying to detain him for a citizen's arrest. Um, in the struggle, uh, there were shots that were fired uh, from Travis McMichael, which uh, hit Ahmad Arbery, uh, Ahmad Arbery and killed Ahmad Arbery. And it took a while for any charges to be filed against these individuals. Um, the uh, district attorney, the sheriff, everybody was kind of covering this up. It wasn't until months after, this happened in February, and it was May, right around the same time as um, the, uh, the George Floyd murders. Uh, took place that this video also came up, right? So it was Breonna Taylor, Ahmad Arbery, and George Floyd all kind of coming to light right around the same time and really triggering a lot of Americans to understand that there was an issue, that racism was very much still prevalent, and that it was costing Black people to their lives, and, and they were being murdered unjustly. So um, and the initial trial took place. Uh, the state charges of murder, uh, and all three were sentenced to life in prison. But then what this uh, sentencing was about was about the federal hate crime charges and the, the sentencing of them to uh, 35 years for, um, well, life in prison for Gregory and Travis and, and 35 years uh, for William Bryan uh, for this being a hate crime. Right. Basically, they were able to say through all the evidence that um, Ahmaud Arbery was targeted because he was black and that if this would have been a white individual, these three men would not have acted in the same way. And this is a huge, huge thing, not only for the Black Lives Matter movement, but for everybody who really wants to see America and see people move forward and come together and learn to coexist a lot better because it sent a message that if you act in a manner that is different based on the color of someone's skin, now this would also apply to sexual identity or gender or whatever, but if you, if you act in a way that's different because of the color of someone's skin, the, in a hostile manner, that is a hate crime. By being able to say that these individuals did this because he was black, that is a hate crime. It opens the door for all rapes to be charged as hate crimes, which they should be. Rape is a hate crime, okay? A man attacking a woman not because he desires her sexually, but because he is attempting to exert his dominance over her. That is hate. That is derogatory towards women. That is a hate crime and should be charged as such. Okay, Calling someone a, a racial slur or derogatory slur or a homophobic slur, if it causes harm, should be considered a hate crime. 
Okay. If it leads to action, if it leads to an attack on an individual, it should be a hate crime. And I am so happy that the court sent this message. One, that the federal uh, government decided to charge them for the federal hate crime, but also that they were convicted and that they were sentenced appropriately to send a message that this is not tolerated and that future incidents of it will be treated as a hate crime. Now, it is up to the Department of Justice and is up to state and local uh, police jurisdictions to actually arrest and charge these. Okay, It will not happen by itself. If the state and local government do not arrest an individual for a crime, the federal government is not going to have the evidence that it needs because they can't just come in and start investigating all this stuff. There has to be a door that's open for a hate crime to take place. But as long as state and local governments are doing their job and they are inviting the FBI to come in and partner with them on investigations, it will allow for these types of incidents to be charged at a much higher level. So good job, federal government. Good job for everybody out there. Glad to see these people get what they what they deserve. Again, they were already serving a life imprisonment. This does not change that. This is to send a message that this type of behavior will not be tolerated anymore. Okay, and now on the big picture federal level, two big things happened this week. One, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed by the Senate. It was signed by the House or passed by the House, and it will go to President Biden's desk to become law. This is huge. This is massive for uh, climate control. This is massive for uh, protecting the environment. There's a lot of things that it does, but the main focus is on reducing the cost of power. Okay, it does not get rid of coal or oil or natural gas, all of which, excuse me, the byproduct of creating power is carbon dioxide, which carbon dioxide is a dense molecule. And what it does is it goes into our atmosphere and it traps in heat. Okay. That's why carbon dioxide is bad uh, because it's more dense than the, uh, the rest of our atmosphere, uh, atmospheric makeup. It contributes to uh, trapping in heat as opposed to allowing it to dissipate out into space. Okay. So carbon dioxide, bad. Natural gas, I wasn't sure about this. I wasn't sure how natural gas fit into it. Uh, so methane, uh, the, the byproduct of burning methane is carbon dioxide. Okay. So you're taking it and turning it from one very, very bad um, environmental greenhouse gas. You burn it and then you create a byproduct that is less bad. Uh, now methane for its, uh, its volume, it has a lot of energy, and so it can produce a lot of energy with uh, a low amount of carbon dioxide released into the environment relative to oil or coal. Okay, so um, if you were to rank those three in terms of how bad they are for the environment, coal number one, oil number two, natural gas number three, right? So um, uh, we, we like to look at natural gas as a greener gas, and we, we looked at it that way for a long time in the United States, simply because the byproduct was not as severe as that of coal or oil. Got on a tangent there, a little bit of chemistry action, getting back into it. What this bill is going to do is it sets aside a lot of money to be used 
to create an industry of uh, energy or, or greenhouse neutral, no carbon um, power sources, wind and solar specifically, and really anything else that we can think of. It also uh, continues to fund nuclear. Now, there's some certain requirements with it. One, uh, it has to be at a certain wage that is above uh, the federal minimum wage. It has to be uh, an apprenticeship program. So there has to be training that's involved with it. And in order to receive the money, um, the goods have to be produced in, in the United States or acquired through one of our uh, uh, par trade partners with which we have a free trade agreement. Okay. So there's a few requirements with that. But let's think about what that does. Right now, the United States does not produce a lot of solar panels ourselves. We do not produce a lot of wind turbines ourselves. This allows us to do that. The U.S. government is saying we're going to fund the creation of this industry. And by doing that, what it allows us to do when we have a surplus of it is also be able to export that out into the world. Right. So now we become an exporter of the technology used to help flight, help fight climate change and help fight global warming. Right. So this so it's very good from that standpoint. It's not just shifting our power grid. It is actually creating industries and jobs which are going to have an effect on the global scale, um, which is awesome. It does uh, create some tax credits for automobile manufacturers. Now, the problem is because all the goods have to be produced locally in the United States, we don't really meet that right now, right? Very few auto manufacturers are going to. However, it does allow that opportunity to happen, right? So auto manufacturers can get rebates um, to produce these, these things locally. Again, everything is done at a high prevailing wage in an apprenticeship program. It creates jobs in the long term. Uh, now, there were some some things that happened with it that people may not be happy with. Um, Joe Manchin was able to keep in um, uh, offering lease agreements. Um, and while that may not be an ideal thing, we still got this bill passed, right? Um, it, it's going to overall reduce our carbon emissions uh, from our 2005 levels, which are which, the reason why we go off that is that was our peak carbon emission in the United States was the year 2005. So it will, in essence, reduce our carbon emissions from 2005 levels to between 35 and 45 percent. That's amazing. So if we were putting out 700 billion tons of carbon before, we would be putting out closer to 400 billion or even 350 billion, almost half. That's awesome, right? So that's a good, very, very good thing. Now that news was largely shadowed by Trump. Donald Trump is in the news again because Mar-a-Lago on Monday was served a search warrant. And that search warrant was signed off on by uh, a Florida magistrate, uh, Bruce Reinhardt. And, and, and we're going to talk about good old Bruce here, but uh, it was overseen by the, the Department of Justice. Um, it was a warrant that was executed to search the property for, and this is from the warrant, 
any all physical documents and records constituting evidence, contraband, fruits of crime, or other items illegally possessed in violation of 18 U.S.C. 793, 2071, or 1519, including the following. Any physical documents with classification markings along with any containers or boxes, including any other contents, in which such documents are located, as well as any other containers or boxes that are collectively stored or found together with the aforementioned documents in containers or boxes. Information, including communications in any form regarding the retrieval, storage, or transmission of national defense information or classified material. Any government and or presidential records created between January 20th, 2017 and January 20th, 2021, or any evidence of the knowing alteration, destruction, or concealment of any government and or presidential records or of any documents with classification markings. That's the warrant. What it's saying in layman's terms is that federal documents, some of a classified nature, some of a nature protected under the Presidential Records Act, were stored at Mar-a-Lago. And the Department of Justice wanted those back. The federal archives wanted those back. They had asked for them. They had subpoenaed them. They had not been turned over. And there was enough evidence to believe that these documents were being stored at Mar-a-Lago that they were able to get Bruce Reinhardt to sign off on a search warrant for the president of the United the former president of the United States of America's property. This is the first time this has ever happened. Donald Trump became the first president to ever be impeached twice by the House of Representatives and had their personal property searched and items seized from that property. Now, there was some false news out there saying that Bruce Reinhardt was appointed by Donald Trump. Bruce Reinhardt took over as a U.S. magistrate judge in 2018. So that did happen while Donald Trump was president. However, magistrate judges are chosen by the federal district judges. So basically the other judges decide who becomes a magistrate judge. So it did happen while Donald Trump was president. Um, just getting this out there, the judge was not appointed by Donald Trump. Okay. Some people have looked to that to say, oh, this is this is how this is really bad for Donald Trump. His own judge did this. A judge looked at the facts and said, this is reasonable to issue a search warrant. Um, taking politics out of it and understanding that no individual is above the law of the United States of America. You know, when Magna Carta was first uh, passed in Great Britain, that was established that the king was not above the king's law. And that has been a foundation of every um, form of republic or democracy ever since then, right? That nobody was above the law and the president is not above the law. And this goes to show that. So now let's talk about the property that was received. There, uh, There's a lot of... Um, Items that were see were received. Um, a couple of things. There was the executive grant of clemency for Roger Stone. There was information regarding the president of France. There was a leather-bound box of documents. 
there were various classified TSSCI documents. That is listed as 2A on um, the receipt, which means that those were found in the leather-bound box of documents. Okay, so thinking about a leather-bound box, it's a very special box. It's one you're going to want to take care of. Top secret, sensitive, classified information was stored in this box. TSSCI, you would typically have to go into a special secured building to read these documents. They would not leave that facility. You would not be able to even uh, bring a cell phone in with you. There's electronics jamming equipment that is inside this building. This is stuff about our uh, uh, interception of communication with foreign powers. This is stuff on our nuclear capabilities or our enemies' nuclear capabilities. This is the highest of the highest security clearance information. Yes, Donald Trump would have had access to this information while president of the United States of America. 100%, no doubt. He would have still had to go through the process to read this TSSCI information. Okay. It would have been brought to him. It would have been removed promptly at the end of the meeting, and then it would have been stored away. Okay. This tells us that these documents made it into the White House, and whoever was responsible for removing them and getting back to the archives appropriately failed to do so. There was a potential presidential record. There were photos, handwritten notes, boxes labeled A1, A12, A15, A16, A18, A27, variety of numbers. Miscellaneous top secret documents, miscellaneous secret documents, miscellaneous confidential documents, more confidential documents. Top secret documents, top secret documents, confident. These boxes contained a lot of information. But what is what I think is key and what a lot of people haven't been talking about is that the TSSCI documents were in a special leather bound box. None of the regular top secret documents or secret documents or confidential documents were in a special leather bound box. And what that means to me is that not only did someone at Mar-a-Lago know that these documents were super important and super valuable, but they made an effort to make sure that they stood out and that they were presented as such. So why could this be such a big deal? Well, one, the president had the documents and failed to turn them over. I think that in and of itself uh, is, is big. That's why one of the charges that he could be facing is obstruction of justice. But all of this actually also falls under the Espionage Act, which is what was used to establish the warrant. See, under the Espionage Act, it is illegal for anybody to be in possession of government documents. Regardless of the classification, you can't be in possession of certain things. If any of these were written down by the president, then he's in violation of the Presidential Records Act. And if, if any of these documents were of a nature that would threaten the security of the United States of America, and 
if they can find ties between Donald Trump and any foreign actor, they could charge him for treason. And I absolutely believe that Donald Trump kept these items as an insurance policy. If something were to happen to him, he could release this information out there and he would be protected by that other foreign entity. This was his safety net, if you will. Probably thought he would never be found out. Probably thought he covered himself well enough. None of this is related to January 6th. None of this is related to his taxes. Now, the Department of Justice has evidence. The Department of Justice is going to keep getting evidence. They are going to subpoena every single thing that they possibly can of Donald Trump and everything that they can of any individual who could have had contact with these documents. And through that, I guarantee you, they are going to find out information about January 6th. They're going to find out exactly who was involved. And because and when that happens, they are not only going to be able to tie Donald Trump to treason by attempting to sell information to a foreign actor, they're going to be get be able to get him for treason for actually attempting to cause an insurrection and overthrow the federal government. And he will be tried on multiple counts of treason. And I do not believe that anybody will let those charges drop. Because we are at a tipping point in America where we have to show that nobody is above the power of the law. Now, will there be Trump loyalists who will lash out potentially uh, with a lot of hostility? Absolutely. Could there be some violent altercations as a result of this? Absolutely. But is it the right thing to do to protect the sovereignty of the United States of America and on a national stage or a worldwide stage, renounce or state out to the public that we renounce what this president did. We renounce these actions. This is not the United States of America. And anybody who does this, who puts themselves above the law, will be brought back down to ground. The law is above everybody else. Nobody is above the law. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. I really appreciate an opportunity to talk with all of you. Uh, If you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. If you like what you heard and you think other people might like it as well, um, please share the link with them. If you don't already follow me on TikTok, it's at my views on politics. I post little snapshots where I uh, talk about what's going on with politics like to get into it a little bit. Um, This is definitely deeper dive stuff, but TikTok, if you don't like to listen for a half hour, it's a great way to get some quick content coming your way from me. And you also get a stare at my amazing face, right? I mean, who doesn't love this mug? So appreciate you guys uh, tuning in this week. Thank you very much. Go open up that bottle of wine, go crack a beer and have a good night.